Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode is the conclusion of our series titled Humanizing the Workplace, with Valerie Garrett and Thomas Neltner of Fifth Third Bank with Patrick Donnelly of BHDP. We dive into human needs, dipping our toes into the science of brain function, and finish on the value of building a sense of community. If you enjoy what you hear, we encourage you to rate, subscribe, and give us a review. Let's get started. You know, there, there's something else that, we, that, that we've done historically when you look at workplace design throughout history that recent history is finally recalibrating and correcting, which is we've actually deprived people of basic human sensory need. So when you think about the things we know from neuroscience now, for example, we know now that your higher cognitive functions, memory, focused attention, planning, things like this, they actually need refresh. Yep. And exterior views, nature helps create that refresh. Oxygen. <laughs> Oxygen, right. These are basic human needs. What we've done throughout history by lining the exterior of a building with offices, there's a whole contingent of our people that are now, we're, we're expecting them to perform. We're expecting them to be highly productive people. They are in the hive, right? And we expect the hive to be buzzing. And we've deprived them of a primary way to reset their cognitive, their higher cognitive functions, that's a problem. Not to mention the fact that human beings need vitamin D, you need a bath of it about every day to really be well and healthy. We have done a disservice to ourselves by doing workplace design the way we have for decades and in the recent history, several decades of Correcting it is really a good thing. It's good for human beings. It's good for our performance. It's good for our well-being. It's good for the balance that we have to have as our our life, all these different compartments of our lives coexist. Yeah, there's a science behind that too, what you're talking about, attention restoration therapy, Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, that higher cognitive function, since we're a lot of workplace, what we're seeing is it's it's creativity driven. It's about being able to think and design thinking, and it's less about rote tasks, right? And when you have to operate at that, they say the best you can do is an hour before your brain needs to restore. And if you try to push beyond that, even people who are professionally trained athletes or musicians, um, the hardest they can push themselves maximum is four hours before mm-hmm. they need to break. And those are people who are experts at what they mm-hmm. do. Um, so that, that need to connect back. How um, have you addressed the challenge of connecting back to nature when you're living in a vertical environment? You know, I mean, we talk about you have a tower in downtown Cincinnati, you know, like in places in like New York. How do you connect people back to nature when we're in these really beautiful steel and glass cages in mm. the sky? You know? That's a great question. There are some challenges in a vertical environment. One of them and then I, I promise I'll answer your question. No, no. I One of them is that we were not born with wings, so we don't naturally relate vertically. Right. That alone is a challenge. So when you're building in a vertical environment and you want people to use the whole, you actually want them to know there's a million square feet available to them, 
you have to do some purposeful things to get them to relate vertically since they don't have wings and don't naturally do so. But I, but I think, you know, the, another challenge is things like, you know, you also have some facility-related practicalities, like plantscaping is a challenge for yes. an, a large um, uh, a large enterprise because you have critters and you have mold and you have watering and you have these things that have to happen. So the way that the, some of the ways that we are answering that is a preserved living wall. We use that oh. as a regular... Um, element in our spaces Um, and we use it in different ways we apply it in different ways Um, mix of materials is really important I've never met a human being in my life that didn't respond well to wood it it it, there's a softness to it which is interesting because it's a hard material but yes there's a softness there's a warmth so mix of materials is really important vista I mean when you talk about creative work and the need to be creative. Thomas and I have had this conversation multiple times. You want a lot of creativity? I've got to have margin. <laughs> <laughs> so the creativity doesn't happen when I'm staring at my screen for hours at a time. It happens when I look up and I look out yes. and I look across the vista and I realize something. And all of a sudden there's a new idea or there's an evolution of an idea. That's how creativity happens. It happens in changing my perspective and that's really important so um access to natural light and exterior views those are a few of the ways that we're responding to it um even mix of materials that aren't so natural um we just can't have all white hard surfaces everywhere you need some change you need some contrast a little diversity and you need experience. some diversity yeah. and yeah absolutely very cool well, I was I was thinking, Thomas, about your comments relative to choice. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective because you think about satisfaction in people's work, wanting them to be satisfied, and we found that in our culture, having a choice, giving people choice and variety, is a big determinant on their satisfaction in their in their workplace. Mm-hmm. And what I see us doing is creating new program for work, which means new programming, new space for work that. Um, Certainly it's activity-based, so we're trying to create choice that enables different activities that make successful work happen. But also gathered and assembled and then distributed in a way that has the variety where people can actually see and and choose. Do you see that happening? Is it something that you're doing consciously as you think about work? Yes, I I think that's true. I was going to comment on one thing that was asked the question. I started thinking, pondering what about it. One of the biggest piece of feedback we get when we sort of transform the workplace we're doing today is the, and it is so basic, it's almost a little, I would say it's almost, um, I don't want to say embarrassing, but it's almost when you bring, Why did we think of this before? well, right. what I'm going to is the natural light, oh, yeah. the ability to have natural oh, light yeah. and, yeah. and that the, that there isn't a separation between a dark office place and the outside world. The ability to have all people within a floor, not just the privileged few that sit on the corners of the building, the ability to have that light um, come in and just the natural, the vitamin D that Valerie talked about, but just the natural understanding of what's going on throughout the day, mm-hmm. um, is this, it also spurs um, that thing. So 
didn't address your nature per se, but it really is that light. It's probably the number one thing we see because our environments were very um, sort of dark, uh, not well lit. And I think those are some of the things that really kind of spur um, some of the simple things, let's say that, to sure. spur some yeah. of the, a reaction that they get. And it's um, an easy first step. Yeah we, yeah, we got to work with a client that they had had a building that was built right before man landed on the moon. <laughs> and it was the traditional, the entire perimeter were offices. And we did a study where there were two offices for every one workstation. Mm. So all the people in the middle, no light whatsoever. They didn't even have glass doors on the offices. Mm. And we flipped it over, moved the offices mm. in, did everything backwards, and people were stopping us and thanking us. <laughs> Because one guy had actually had, was it rickets? He had some sort of vitamin D deficiency mm -hmm. where he had a disability because of it. And he's like, I feel so much better. You know, I haven't seen the sun in years. It was it's like you'd released them from a prison. You know, <laughs> I mean, the, there there are regions of the country where that's a real issue. I I hail from Michigan. I love <laughs> I love my Mitten people. Right. <laughs> and I love I love Michigan, but almost. Everybody, almost, again, let's don't make any medical claims, right? But there's a real issue with vitamin D deficiency in regions that are cloudy like that. Um, and so I, I can totally see somebody having a challenge and like that and actually feeling a difference when they have access to natural light. There's, yeah. there's probably one other aspect, and I'll bring come in from the HR view here, that we haven't talked about. And that's, you know, one of the things that we I touched on a little bit before about you know, they'd be able to, to have people experience and have, you know, the best work of their lives. It's how do you attract talent? Mm -hmm. And the attraction of talent, I mean, we, we did some experiments over the, over the last couple of years where we brought um, um, MBA students in some cases or new uh, college graduates through our, our work environment. We showed them some of the existing work environment. We showed them some of the new work environment. And the, the comment they would make is they would look at it and say, I want to work in that environment. Mm -hmm. So I do think um, there's a competitive piece here. There's a competitive, and I, I've stressed this with our leadership, is it's not just about us changing the environment that we currently sit in just because of the people there. It also is, a, is it can be, and in many cases, attract talent that want to work in an environment that's new and fresh and different and variety and has choice and flexibility versus it's very very few if you laid that out to somebody and said you have a you have a choice to work in this one desk here on a floor your 55 to 100 square feet right or you have an opportunity to work in this new environment where you can use choice and flexibility and all it'd be hard pressed to think they would select the the former which is mm -hmm. um they would select the latter so i think the, the talent sure. um, a lot of companies are looking at this the variety the choice and and certainly the tech companies have led that way over the years of creating an environment people want to work in. So and on top of that, though, you've created an environment that looks attractive to somebody's mm -hmm. like, oh, that looks like an interesting place. I want to work there. Mm -hmm. How do you keep them once you get them in the door? And I guess I'm leading into how does how important is building a sense of community within that environment, like making people feel like they belong? It's a that's a big deal. I mean, when you when you share space generally speaking you're not bringing in your family picture and putting it on the tack board anymore i mean i've not done that in 15 years right um and so you do need to create some way for people to express themselves personally and also as groups so there are things that that 
groups do together. Um, at Fifth Third, it's really ingrained in our culture to serve the community. We're very involved with the community and our regional offices as well. All of them have different groups within their communities that they're heavily involved with. So when a team does something exciting with a community group, they need a way to display that. And so we're very purposefully creating opportunities within the space for teams and individuals to share. And celebrate. And celebrate. And we talk about that. And sometimes it's very personal celebration. So-and-so had a baby and they want to share that with people or had a grandbaby. Um, Sometimes it's group celebration. Sometimes it's, it's... not necessarily something we did together, but it's a maybe we made a furniture donation and the nonprofit that is using that furniture sent us a thank you note with pictures of them in the furniture. Oh, that'd be, yeah. That that kind of thing is really compelling for people and yeah. they can get behind it. So we have I mean, that was one of the things we talked about very early on in the design work that we're doing now is is let's make sure we have a way for people to celebrate and to express we have a really large project we're engaging in right now, and, and it's for, you know, when we talk about people working and we're enabling things they're already doing, the population in this particular building, they are expert celebrators. I mean, they, <laughs> y- you have a birthday, and you come in, and your workstation is decked out entirely. Oh, wow. And so they're just really good at it. So as the team walked through, I stopped, and I said, okay, guys, you see this? we have got to give these people some really unique opportunities to support that celebratory culture. Yeah, there's another byproduct in here thinking. There's another byproduct of this sort of work environment that we're creating. Here's the byproduct. One of the things that early in your career that we can offer is an ability of exposure. Exposure from different parts of the organization, different people in the organization. What better way to be able to offer to our employees a way to look and be seen and to interact with different people in the organization. And I'll tell you, I can tell you my personal experience as being a leader, there are people I met through the interaction over the last three years that I have brought on my team or at least considered to bring on my team because I had an interaction with them that I never would have had before. Whether I worked on an agile team with them, whether I was in a in an open space and environment and noticed them, whether I was ready to interact and build relationships. You know, years ago, we've always talked about in HR, we always, it's all about relationships, yes. how you work together. It's about the relationships you build and how, and, and if you want to get it, the best advice I can give that I do give people that start their career is the best thing you can do is build as many relationships as you, as you can because people, that's how people get up through the organization. We certainly mm-hmm. have our career development plans and we have our development goals and things that we do for our organization, but really how people get move up in the organization is the interactions they have with key people in the organization and they get that opportunity in an open environment much more than they get it in a traditional sort of office environment that we would we spoke about. Absolutely. So it, it makes me think about um, how we experience work socially, but one of the fascinating things about Fifth Third is you were asking a question about community. Well, the community is Fifth Third's customer. So part of what we're doing is trying to create places where Fifth Third is able to carry out their mission in part to connect to community. So I've seen where we've started to take that dialogue where we've talked about that as part of the culture of the bank and how do we actually apply that as we're creating workplace strategy. That's fascinating to me. It seems counterintuitive, but it's just there. It's just sitting there. The other thing it makes me think of is um, 
things that I've learned having conversations about experiential graphic design, which is an integrated part of workplace design now. The amount of investment that the bank makes in our community, I had no idea the magnitude of that. And then talking about ways to express that so that people at the bank can feel pride in what they're doing, can also feel that connection to community, that way of communicating. If these walls could speak, what would they say? Mm -hmm. Then talking about what rich messages we should integrate is a big part of making that interaction happen, not just the size of spaces and the choice of places that we have people working, but what do they say as well? Yeah, and we were talking about, you know, so that's a connection to the broader community. And then we talk about an internal community mm -hmm. with the celebrations, the other teams. I remember reading, and I can't forget, I, I forget the number, so there's science behind this that I'll probably misquote. Um, but it was people are more likely to stay with an organization if they feel like they have mm -hmm. one or two friends at mm -hmm. work, right. mm -hmm. like people that they feel close to. And that sense of community is what, like you were talking about, they don't work for corporations, they work for people. Yeah, it's and sometimes it's they work with gallops. people. Yeah. You know, if questions. I think I could go away tomorrow and nobody would notice, why don't I just go ahead and go away tomorrow? Yeah. I mean, the, provocative question you, you need to be connected if you're not connected there's not a reason to stay would you consider so you talked earlier about workplace not uh lending to the basic human sensory needs is that not another basic human need that sense of connection i think it is i mean i have debated this with with really smart people people smarter than i um you could argue that there are debates more worth having than this, um, <laughs> how to end poverty, for example. But I believe that, I, I firmly believe, and the longer, the longer I do this, the more I believe it, that a lot has changed. The way we work has changed. The way we move around has changed. Um, the way we distribute ourselves as individuals and families has changed, right? We don't, we don't live generations in the same house anymore beyond two usually. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are things about human beings that have never changed. We have always had a need for connection. We have always right. needed light. Those are things that, that I don't believe they've changed and I don't believe they will. So I absolutely believe that the need for connection is a basic human need. And, a, and an enclosed, sequestered uh, work environment does not support that well. Yeah, I saw something recently that said we need food, water, and attention because we're basically houseplants with complicated emotions. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry, that was my divergent path. But yeah, the connection is something that we're looking at. And you talked about neuroscience, which got me really excited. Um, and I thought it was interesting. I had a coworker within the last 10 years that was, um, he's like, you know, back, he actually said the phrase, back in my day, you didn't give a, a blip about somebody's day. You just came in, you did your job, and you didn't have to worry about all this touchy-feely stuff. Um, but I think that as the work has changed, we recognize that that need is a lot mm -hmm. more uh, valuable. And then you'd start, people try to break everything down into quick binary groups. They'll say, well, introverts are different than extroverts, but I think it's way more complex than that. And I think mm -hmm. when you're talking about somebody who's on the extreme end of either, that's a very small subset of the population. Most people are in between in that complexity area of ambiverts. You know, sometimes 
I really need my coworkers, and sometimes I really well, need to stay at home. It made me think of when you <laughs> mentioned when I was, you know, the gentleman who said to you when in my day. Yeah. What I always thought of, a, and I may get this wrong, what got you here today will not get you mm-hmm. there in the future. Yeah. And the probably the biggest mistake you can make in business is to think that what got you there will get you there in the future, that you don't adapt, you don't change. There's countless uh, companies out there that no longer exist because they thought they didn't have to adapt and that somebody yes. came in and cha- revolutionized the way and was a disruptor to that. So. You know, there, there's, there's this, this a sense that, you know, you sort of go back to in my day or when we were, you know, when I was at the bank, we used to do this and we were very successful. It's just what got it's, you here today will may yeah. not get you there in the future. And you got to right. think of something different. And right. the hardest time to change, and we talk a lot about change management, the hardest time to change in anything we do, whether it's our personal life or whether it's our work life, is when things are going great. And that's when you really, that's when I get nervous. When things are going really well, that's when you should start getting nervous. People say, well, no, you get nervous when things are bad. Well, you know they're bad and you know where you are. Where, where you get, yeah. where you need to focus on is when things are going really well, are you adapting to the new, next new, whatever that may be? Because if you're not, you end up with something or, you know, we can mention products if you want that are no longer exist just in very quick amount of time. We're not talking centuries. We're talking right. years where yeah, something completely right. changes. I mean, and, and changes an in industry around to where um, it's just almost obsolete. And, and there was a, a thing about like the top 100 successful mm-hmm. companies from, I forget, it right. was, and it was within the last hundred years. Right. And how to, how many of those still exist today? And I think mm-hmm. it was like 53, mm-hmm. almost half of them are gone. Right. And those were the most successful businesses, right. you know, and yeah. they're just gone, um, which is fascinating. But it's also, too, you talk about what works uh, today won't work tomorrow. Um, it brings us back to the future proofing. And I know I've asked you this question before, and it's one of my, I quote this all the time, whether she remembers the answer or not will be the interesting oh, part. Oh, gosh. But You're scaring saying, you know, me now. That back in the day, like in the 80s, I remember when companies used to make 10-year plans, right? We have a 10-year plan for the success of this company. Then it became a five, then a three. Now you're lucky if the one-year plan you make comes to full fruition by the end of the year. <laughs> How do you future-proof design when there's that much unpredictability even in the a year-to-year basis. I'm, mm. I'm going to give her a chance to think, because I remember when you asked that, yeah. that question. Do one you the, remember how I answered one, Well, one <laughs> of the things, this might stimulate your thinking, one of the things that it makes me think of is the way we ask questions are different than we used to. We used to do something we called profiling, which even sounds bad when I say mm-hmm. it, but we were profiling nowadays, essentially yeah. work. We were profiling individual work, habits and preferences and we no longer designed preference in fact we don't it's not that i don't care about what people like i just don't ask them at least not early on i do care what their favorite color is but just not early on i'd rather have their professional judgment of what's in the best interest of the organization to be successful that's the answer to the question not not what they want at least not initially i want to them to help give me strategic direction on where they think, as an organization, we're going. What's the cultural of the organization? Where does it need to go to be more successful? Designed to that. Mm-hmm. And then whether that person I was profiling stays or leaves, I've still got direction and I've still designed things mm-hmm. that actually are designed to help us be more successful, not today, but in the future, to Thomas's point, which is that's the uncomfortable thing. I mean, if you were truly doing that, it's not just words, but it's actions then it should make us uncomfortable because what we're putting on paper we haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. It's not trying to meet a standard. 
It's being guided by the knowledge of what we have in the past to create something new. Something, yes, that's manageable, something that's highly utilized, something that disciplined in the way it utilizes the asset. But at the same time, it's designed to the culture and to the work processes to make everybody successful in the future, not just an individual preference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a part of me that says you, you can't because whoever was trying to future-proof telecommunications kind of went, oh, rats, <laughs> when the iPhone came out, right? right. Yep. So there, there are always going to be disruptors. But I think I think the real answer is you you always design to basic human need, always. Yep. So, you know, Patrick, you talked early in our conversation about the way that we're, we're kind of designing and programming and designing. It's because what we've said is we are going to create a great space period no matter who goes in there no matter when we're going to create a great space because and we're going to do that by responding to basic human need um that doesn't mean that that we don't design for some nuances for certain teams that have specific needs sure but there are there are principles that govern what we do and those principles are grounded in in human behavior in the workplace and that is pretty much what you said before. So you nailed it. Yes. <laughs> That's good. Which was great. I think the other thing I would say, it, it, maybe it's tangential to what they're talking about. And it's and I've had these discussions with um, Valerie quite a bit on, on the retail, our retail focus on our branches. And I think there was a day when we thought we could sort of have a prototype of a branch mm-hmm. um, get that prototype and we just stamp them out, you know? And, and the idea is, that idea is, is really fading. I think the evolution, and this is what we talk about design, the evolution of design to where we're constantly looking at and evolving. I will tell you, the one thing I'm proud of is our first space we designed in 2016 and our space today is radically different. Yeah. It evolved over time, but we're constantly evolving as we get feedback from our customers, from our employees, of we're constantly evolving that work environment. It's not the same thing. And I think in some ways, years ago, we would just sort of create a bunch of environments that look very, very similar. And that's really gone away to the point where maybe the first we build and the the 10th we build look different and the 50th and if it does look the same shame on us Um, there are some companies that do that i think um, can think of a few offhand that i won't mention that do (laughs) sort of maybe stamp out what those look like but i think even those companies have realized that they have to look different that and and then a starbucks let's just use them that the one Starbucks may not look like the other one you go to, right. and the next one may not be another one. They but could, the experience is similar and predictable, correct. but correct. maybe the environment's a correct. little bit different. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, so right. there's a unique. So that there. idea of evolving the design. So it's not when I say future perfect. It's about being open to say yes. It's going to evolve as we, as we learn and we get feedback from uh, either the customer or the or the employee. Right, and that's part of the de- design thinking process. That prototype yeah. part. We tried it. What yep. do we learn? Mm-hmm. How do we grow? Mm-hmm. Do you measure uh, when workplace? Are you doing like floor by floor and learning as you go, or how how are you measuring that success? We do pre and post surveys. Right. Um, we also just talk to people. I mean, it's really powerful. So, anecdotally, I was taking a group through one of our newer floors and encountered somebody who had just recently moved in. It was, I think it 
we'd been in it for less than six weeks. And I said, how's it going? It's really good. It's really good. I said, so what do you like the most? You know, he said, we just get so much more done. Mm. Because we can see each other. And it's not that we're interrupting each other all the time. It's just when we were all lined up in offices, it was like the door was closed and you didn't know, should I knock? Should I not knock? Mm-hmm. I mean, there were there's some social protocols around being in an enclosed space. Yes. And unless you talk about them together, you don't really know what they are. You just kind of have to guess. And it, it tends to make you very tentative depending on the culture. You have to engage with each other about social protocols in the open environment you don't have a choice (laughs) so you're looking each other in the eye right right so the conversation went on and and i said so tell me your tell me your biggest challenge and he said you know it's it's the phone and i'm thinking oh my gosh the phones aren't working like what Hmm. does that mean and he said, you know, it's just really strange when your computer rings instead of your handset and you have to pick up a soft phone. And I thought, if that is your biggest problem in this workplace, we have done something right. I mean, it was so you, you talk to people and they'll tell you. We talk to people and we and we hear a lot of people say, you know what? I was really skeptical about this. I would never go back. You talk to other people and they say, yeah, I'm. I'm struggling a little bit. And you say, are you using focus rooms, phone rooms? Are you leveraging the space? Oh, that's great. Yeah. And you encourage them to do that. Um, so so we survey, which is more objective. And and it's really helpful just to walk the floor and talk to people and see how they're doing. And that's a great sense of, that ties back into the connection. You have mm-hmm. a sense of trust and you can talk to people and they trust you and they share honest feedback about making it better. But I think it's it what enables the phenomenon that Thomas is talking about. You know, some famous architects have gotten famous by saying, why would I ask somebody about what needs to be designed? I'm the professional. <laughs> because they all I've read The Fountainhead and wanted to be Howard Rourke. Somehow, <laughs> right, or others, more contemporary. Um, but this idea that you design something in 2016 and the spaces today are better because we listen to feedback, that you're actually asking to people, what is your experience in the space? If you're interested in experiential design, to your point, Brian, that's how you do it. Is yeah. you get good at asking questions and listening, not um, you know uh, coming up with statements and telling. Well, and one of the most powerful things we have at our disposal is empathy. I mean, design is or should be for good designers. It is an inherently empathetic discipline. You have to seek to understand before you can design for people. You have to understand the way they work. You have to understand normal human behavior you have to understand human need equally powerful is when you stand up in front of a group of people like i do one of part of my role is to is to help people understand why we're designing things the way that we are so when we have a project i have a presentation that i give to talk through the principles when you stand with people and you say I'm going to leave you with this. Mm -hmm. I know this is scary and hard, and that's okay. It's really powerful. Mm -hmm. I mean, you you kind of see people go, oh, you know, they kind of give this, the breath goes out, and it's okay. And so (laughs) the funniest anecdote about that, I mean, we had a guy raise his hand at the end of a presentation for one project, 
And he said, listen, I don't mean to be a Luddite here, but <laughs> I had to look up the word Luddite. And I was not sure what that meant. Did you use technology to look it up? I because did that's use hilarious. technology to look it up. Yes, I did. Um, yeah, that is funny. Um, it, but but he, he said, I don't, I'm really nervous about this and I don't like it. His whole demeanor shifted when I said, I'm really glad you said that out loud. You're not the only one. And what I want you to know is it's not going away, but we understand that change is hard. We've been doing this for a long time and we know it's going to be better on the other side. I get that you have not experienced that yet. And we are here to walk with you through the change. Reach out. Anytime you have a thought, anytime you're feeling the pain, talk to us. We want to walk with you through the change. That is immensely powerful. Yeah. And what a wonderful story. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP for our conclusion of Humanizing the Workplace with Valerie Garrett and Thomas Neltner of Fifth Third Bank with Patrick Donnelly of BHDP. Valerie and Thomas showed us that engaging and guiding employees through workplace change can be critical to the success of a project. If you appreciate what you've heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. We also invite your suggestions of other architectural, interior design, and behavioral-related projects. I'm Brian Trainer. I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.